Hello and welcome to the ASB Investment Podcast, a show that keeps you up to date on the markets and helps you make smart choices with your investment. These are entirely our own views and that of our guests. It's not investment advice, but we know plenty of experts at ASB that will be happy to chat if you need. Now, normally, if I was recording a podcast about what we expect to have taking place in 2023, I'd like to get it out to our listeners a little bit earlier than 10% of the way into the year, which here we are already in uh, in early February. And I hate to make up excuses, but I'm going to use the storms for it. We uh, had a scheduled date to make this recording, and uh, when the water was lapping around my front doorstep, I thought maybe, maybe not today. But here we are, uh, and the sun's shining a uh, couple of weeks later. And joining me today is Ben Powell from a place where the weather's a little bit more stable. Ben's BlackRock's Asia-Pacific Chief Investment Strategy and has been on several of the earlier podcasts talking about what's going on in global financial markets. And uh, it's, a, uh, it's going to be great having a chat with Ben. Over the past year, we've been grappling things which we uh, discussed in the same podcast a year ago, inflation, rising interest rates, share markets, and the conflict in the Ukraine, China's approach to dealing with COVID, and a few other challenges on top of that. And there's now a lot to reflect on, and importantly, some key investment themes that BlackRock think are important for the year ahead, and that's what we're going to discuss. So welcome back, Ben. Great to be with you guys. And uh, yeah, I hope everyone kept safe during those uh, astonishing uh, storms, the atmospheric rivers, which was a a new uh, term I hadn't heard before, but sounded uh, biblical. You're right here in Singapore. It is 32 degrees with a chance of a storm around 3 p.m. So we don't have so much uh, unexpected uh, outcomes. But uh, as I say, uh, hope everyone doing uh, doing okay. And uh, please, we could reschedule and get this arranged because there's definitely a lot uh, to discuss, CTB. Oh, good stuff. Good to have you back. Hey, uh, uh, we don't need to talk about the weather because we know it's always the same up there. There's no need for a suit jacket that just lives on the back of your chair. Um, uh, how is but how is the uh, how is the festive season for you, and what did you get up to? Yeah, it's been it's been a very busy few weeks, one way or another. So I've got four young children. So Christmas is uh, obviously peak chaos uh, slash fun, I guess, some blend of those two. Uh, and then as we rolled into early uh, January. Uh, markets have been uh, lively, I think it's fair to say. Uh, and with Asia sort of opening, I was actually able to get out on the road for the first time in three years uh, and get out to seven or eight different countries, uh, which is obviously fantastic. It's kind of the best part of the job, frankly, is to be actually in the room with real people discussing these ideas. So it's been uh, it's been very busy across the, the whole portfolio, if you like, of family and uh, work life. But broadly, all in a, a, how can we say, trending positive, I guess, in a, in a broadly positive direction. How about you, CTB? Yeah, well, we were the same. My, uh, we had our first Christmas with my uh, brother, who uh, has been uh, stuck overseas for a few years. But uh, this year was the first one we all got back together, which was, uh, which was fantastic. And as usual, that meant that we ate too much food. Um, but the weather was nice. This was pre the uh, atmospheric river, um, and so we uh, we got in a bit of exercise as well. So a, a fantastic uh, a fantastic time, and, uh, and and a nice break from what was a pretty a pretty challenging year for investors. That's for sure. And 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 here we are a, a month into this year, and uh, it's been uh, it's been nice to have a, a a month where all the asset classes have moved in. The, in a favourable direction, uh, generally for investors. And but reflecting back on a year ago, we were comparing our virtual Christmases, and uh, 
We were talking about central banks getting underway with interest rate increases. Uh, I've got to indulge that uh, over 2022, rates went up a lot more than I expected and at a faster pace than I've expected. And, and here we are a year later and the talk amongst investors is when will the tightening end? When might an easing cycle begin? Um, yield curves are inverted. Um, but not many central banks are talking like the battle's over yet, so that's an interesting thing. So let's start with how did your thinking on interest rates change over 2022? And what are you thinking for central banks and, and their interest rate outlook over 2023? I'm interested in your thoughts all around the world, but let's start with the US and then get on to Europe and the UK. Yeah, no, it's a good question. So I think I'd give us like a B, B plus maybe if I'm being self-generous. I think we diagnosed the inflation problem pretty well. So we at uh, the BlackRock Investment Institute have been talking about uh, inflation is going to be higher for longer than the world thinks. So we've been talking about that for um, well, a couple of years, actually. We, our, our diagnosis is that there are supply changes uh, in the global economy, demographics, uh, Chinese labor forces shrinking, energy transition, uh, deglobalization. All of that kind of trends together, comes together to... Uh, for us, create a kind of higher inflation and a sustained higher inflation. So I think we kind of got that uh, that bit not too bad. But I guess somehow, CTB, we didn't have sufficient courage of our own conviction, which was, uh, like you, I, I definitely did not expect to see us, you know, uh, close to 5% and a discussion as to whether Fed can go beyond 5 12 months ago. So we sort of got the inflation frame broadly right. But the aggression with which the Fed uh, in particular uh, pivoted away from transitory, right? That seems like two lifetimes ago that it was transitory. They pivoted away from transitory to, oh my goodness, this is a real thing and we need to uh, smash it, right? We need to be very aggressive uh, because we don't want to go back to the 70s. We don't want to have inflation expectations become de-anchored, uh, all of that. Uh, and and uh, like you, uh, we have been surprised uh, with the pace of the uh, uh, of the, uh, the the increases. Uh, I would say, you know, from here, we do think, uh, as I said, like uh, slaying the inflation dragon, it seems to, to me and to us is the top priority and continues to be the top priority. So uh, not to take any of the fun away too early, but we're a little bit concerned if the market is expecting uh, a near-term uh, pivot from the Fed, meaning they start to to cut rates, we just don't see that. You know, inflation is a big deal. Yes, it's come down, but it's still, uh, in 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 uh, Chair Powell's opinion and the Fed's opinion, it's still much too high, which uh, I think is true. Uh, and therefore, declaring victory too early would be, um, we think they think, would be a mistake. So inflation's going to hang around, continue to fight it. So uh, that's been the story of uh, 22, I guess. Uh, and maybe we're not going to see, or not maybe, we're, we're almost definitely, I'll hedge a bit by using almost, but we're almost definitely not going to see a repeat of 22 in terms of the uh, you know, the, the quantum of interest rate uh, hikes. But I think it would be a mistake to think the Fed thinks the fight's over. I, I really don't think they think that. And if anything, they kind of want to over crush inflation. That's the uh, preferred mistake rather than allow the uh, that 1970s scenario to come back. That is... I think if, you know, Chair Powell wakes up in the middle of the night uh, with a nightmare, his real nightmare is going back to the 70s, memories of Arthur Burns, all of that. And he would rather, I guess, make the mistake of over-tightening, actually, 
uh, with the consequent maybe negative impact on growth. He'd rather do that, not because he's an unpleasant person, but because he feels that uh, doing that would be the better mistake than allowing inflation to really uh, get entrenched and to start uh, becoming, uh, uh, as I say, a more 1970s style uh, uh, macro context. Yeah, and I, I think he said, and I'm paraphrasing, that they've learned their lessons from history, and, and I'm sure they're reflecting on um, the, the just ongoing battle there. And this stitch in time saves nine sort of idea has certainly been one that I think has been in the Reserve Bank's favour here, where they got started early. Um, and it seems like a similar story in UK and, and Europe over recent weeks that although markets are thinking about, hey, are we getting there yet? Um, central bankers are very keen to point out that they've got more work to do. And, um, and that's keeping a weary eye on inflation and, and, um, and keeping that tightening bias in place, I think. Hey, now one contrast to that is the uh, Reserve Bank of Australia, or the RBA as we call them, um, well, they were very late to come to the party on rate hikes, and and they were uh, pretty early to start signalling that um, that maybe they're getting towards the end. But even the RBA seems to have got hawkish over uh, over the Christmas break, and not only delivered a, a rate hike um, in early February, but signalled more to come. So that um, we're not there yet seems to be a theme down under as well. Yeah, look, I think that's really interesting actually because. Um, as we've actually, I think we talked about this on the on the cast before, you know, the mortgage market, it sounds like a micro issue, but it's actually a macro issue. So in America, lots of people have got 30-year fixed rate mortgages. So they don't need to worry, in that regard at least, about rates going up or down. They're, they're good, right? They fixed at a low rate a year or two ago, uh, and they've got that for 30 years. Uh, good for them. They've got the debt for capital markets uh, uh, to create that kind of product. In uh, the rest of the world, UK... Australia in particular come to mind, that is much less the case. I'm sure people listening here, you know, a lot of us are on one year, two year fixes, which is in a way is just a floating rate with a slightly longer lag, right? It's not a 30 year, right? It's a year or two. And that's coming yeah. around. So what that means is uh, you, you would think or more than think it, it must be true that economies like the UK and Australia have a greater sensitivity to interest rates, uh, uh, than maybe the US or the consumer does because of that mortgage market dynamic. And even with that, RBA and Bank of England and others are still saying, I think, look, inflation's too high. And, you know, of course, yeah. they, they're trying to balance all these trade-offs and it's challenging, but inflation is still front and center, I think, in a lot of these central bankers uh, are thinking um, because that's their mandate, I guess, CTV. Yeah, and, and the, uh, the step-ups that we see in New Zealand where, you know, on the whole, people are fixing that one- to two-year space are massive because interest rates have increased so much over that period of time. And uh, in Australia, quite a high proportion of people float. More people float in Australia on the whole than in, in New Zealand. And, and so the, I could understand why the uh, Reserve Bank of Australia might have thought, hey, this is going to flow through pretty quick. And, uh, and and start to slow things down, um, but um, they're not as uh, they're, they're not as dovish, if you like, as what uh, people were thinking, and 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 as perhaps as they were signalling. So it looks like more rate hikes to come there, and and likewise in New Zealand, we're still thinking that the Reserve Bank of New Zealand has got um, more hikes to deliver. Now, one one that really surprised me over uh, 
as I was getting ready to go on my Christmas holiday, I did my last weekly update and said, oh, the Bank of Japan won't do anything exciting, so um, let's, uh, let's get on with it. And yet they did. They widened their target range for um, Japanese uh, 10-year bond yields, and people got pretty excited about it. I, I still find it hard to imagine that that was anything more than a, um, you know, adjustment to help with, uh, with with market conditions rather than the start of a tightening cycle in Japan. But maybe that's just because Japan's had such a long struggle with growth and inflation. What's the uh, any thoughts about uh, Japanese interest rates then? Look, I think it might be interesting, and I think we should preface maybe for younger listeners here who aren't so familiar with just what a difficult. Uh, a trade, let's say, Japan has been over the last uh, many decades. It, it, it earns the moniker the widowmaker, uh, with people trying to, I, I guess, uh, uh, bet on or play for and invest in the idea that Japanese rates might go up. Uh, and that broadly has not happened. Indeed, the opposite for the last uh, couple of decades. So I come to this in all humility, but it sort of looks like something's going on, CTB. I think that that seems... So what's going on? Inflation... Uh, is uh, high, and by Japanese standards, it's very, very high. Uh, and what we're seeing uh, sort of right now is it looks like it's more than just uh, so-called imported inflation due to a weak currency. It looks like it might be uh, uh, more, or at least uh, in part, uh, to do with uh, what we're seeing all over the world, a labor shortage, tight labor markets, wage inflation, uh, and therefore inflation becoming more uh, sustained, entrenched, uh, and you know, we shouldn't forget that was the plan, right? You know, they haven't had this extraordinary uh, uh, policy, very, 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 very loose monetary policy for a long time. The whole plan was to, if I get the quote right, something like dispel the deflationary mindset, right? That, that's been the whole game. And I think we can say it looks like they are closer to that uh, than they've been for the last many years, even decades. So logically, if that's true, and I think it's true, logically, they should be considering uh, whether the, uh, the the very loose policy that they still have in place is the right policy moving forward. So I think that debate is live in Japan uh, and in financial markets. Uh, and I think it is uh, plausible that you see further adjustments to the, uh, to the current policy, which, as I say, as I mentioned, is still very, very, very loose. BOJ buying, technical term here, boatloads of... Uh, Japanese bonds in order to uh, keep uh, yields very, very low. I think there is a live discussion and a real chance that over the next uh, several months, uh, let's say in the first half, uh, that you see a further adjustment. And, and I think, if you'll allow me to go on just uh, for a couple of paragraphs here, CTB, I think that's important, uh, not just for Japan. It's definitely important for Japan. But I think, you know, this is the uh, largest uh, intervention in financial markets in recent financial market history, the BOJ intervention into the uh, Japanese uh, government bond market has been uh, very, very large. So for me, if they try to unwind that, if and when they try to unwind that, it seems to me to be quite likely to be globally significant. So you'll remember uh, a few months back in my, uh, my home country, the UK, uh, we had a, a prime minister for over 43 days. Things didn't go that well. And there was a UK kind of uh, wobble, let's call it a wobble, which uh, nearly became a global risk-off moment. Uh, then the Bank of England had to come in and save the day. So let's see. But if the BOJ do adjust policy, given the 
uh, as I say, it's hard to exaggerate the, the the scale of the intervention. I just don't know CTB. I just, you know, just thinking about it uh, almost as a layman here, just how do you unwind the world's biggest financial market uh, intervention without causing a few ripples? I don't think you can. So I think this is something we should be aware of, not just from a what does it mean for Japanese equities perspective, although that's you know important and interesting, but actually for a global, potentially for the global read through, because I think this will likely ripple through uh, in a way which is interesting and, and maybe even quite significant uh, directly for global rates, for global interest rates, uh, but maybe even for global risk uh, more broadly. So I think, as I say, in all humility, because uh, this has been a tough one for a couple of decades, but I do think when I look at the inflation uh, landscape, it's uh, very high by Japanese standards uh, and therefore makes sense that uh, there is a, a clear uh, discussion and maybe even action as to evolve policy in line with the new inflation dynamics. Because, as I say, CTB, they do seem like they're different uh, now than they've been for uh, the last couple of decades. Yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be fascinating. And on a personal note, uh, I think I've mentioned in an earlier podcast, my partner's Japanese and uh, and I and I are going up to Japan to see family for the first time for me, at least since 2019. And um, because I'm a financial geek, I uh, always wander into the banks uh, up there and have a look around. One of the things which I had to do a bit of adjustment on my trips was I, I get used to walking in and seeing a blackboard rate somewhere. You know, here it might, well, today if we walked in, you'd see a 5.3% or a few years ago, it would have been a 1.3% for a term deposit rate. And when I got to Japan and I was looking at their equivalents, they were like 0.01. And I thought, oh, they must talk about rates just using decimals, not percentages. But in fact, that was actually a percentage return that you'd get on your money. Um, so I'm, I'm very much looking forward to uh, going and seeing those bizarre sites that you see in Japanese banks where people have essentially received nothing for their money for years and years. And um, we'll, see, we'll see how things change over the next few years. And I'm looking forward to getting back up there and seeing family, but also uh, checking out uh, how Japan itself is, is going. Hey, now, um, tightening into um, BlackRock's research and outlook for the year ahead, it seems that a key theme for people to get their heads around in investment markets at the moment is that central banks, rather than coming to the rescue to save and prop up growth like they have done so many times over the past decade, including, including the pandemic, central banks are now deliberately causing a recession by tightening monetary policy so tight to tame inflation, if we put it into simple terms. The Reserve Bank's doing that here. So within your forecasts, let's discuss what that means for economic growth in developed markets and, and, and how that flows to what it means for uh, for share markets over the year ahead. That's an awful lot in, in one question. But let's give it a go. So that's right. Uh, and look, I think the main point is, this is obvious, but true and important. So I'm going to state it even though it's obvious. Inflation's really high. Right? So sorry, I know you all know that, but like it's really important. And this is the difference from the last 30 or 40 years where inflation was, if anything, too low. Right? That was the problem. So in the, the era of the so-called great moderation, when inflation was low and stable, uh, if growth got a bit low, no problem. Central banks can come in and save the day because they didn't need to worry about inflation. Sadly, they now clearly need to worry about inflation. And that uh, makes it much harder for them to come in uh, and do a bit of stimulus because inflation's already too high. So as, as I mentioned earlier in the Powell answer, uh, Chair Powell answer, um, that is still 
front and center in many Western central bankers' uh, thinking, framing, and uh, indeed their actions. And we don't think that's going to change. Uh, the, 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 the probability of them uh, declaring victory too early or the prospect of them declaring victory too early and then having to come back, they really don't want to do that. So I think there is quite a high bar to uh, saving the day. So what that should mean, the plan, I'm afraid, is slower growth. Not because they're you know, unpleasant people, but because they feel that's the right plan to bring inflation down and that's the main uh, priority uh, for now. So feeding that through into the growth outlook, it's uh, it's mediocre. I mean, we're not expecting you know a GFC style a slowdown, nothing like that. But it should be not that good in Western economies uh, for the next uh, year or so. And I think at the moment, just to take a view, I guess, at risk of a strategist actually having an opinion, you know, we would push back on the view at the moment, which seems to be in markets of the uh, the kind of immaculate disinflation, the idea that the economy can be landed and we can solve for inflation with no growth pain. I hope that's right. You know, as a, as a person, as a citizen of the world, I hope that's right. But I just don't think it's right. Uh, unfortunately, I think we are going to see the lagged impact of uh, the tightening that's already happened. To remind everyone, you know, monetary policy works with a lag. It takes a bit of time to feed through. So I think we've already seen, uh, uh, as I mentioned, a boatload of tightening, and that should feed through into uh, uh, a slowdown to come. And we're likely to see even more tightening from here. So the growth outlook for the Western markets is, uh, in our view, uh, unsatisfactory. And, and, and strangely, as we were kind of talking about vis-a-vis -vis RBA, but I think it's true in other uh, Western markets as well, you know, the stronger uh, the economy is, the slightly unhelpfully, the stronger equity markets are in particular. So just to uh, remind everyone, as equity markets go up, that translates as a loosening of financial market conditions. Uh, the Fed's whole game is to tighten financial market conditions. They want to tighten financial conditions to bring uh, inflation down. So in a way, equities going up is, act is actively unhelpful for the Fed's plan. So I think if we see, as we've seen recently, you know, very strong jobs numbers uh, in the U.S. and the uh, buoyant equity market, I think that will actually encourage the Fed to even go further, to create the growth slowdown they feel they need. Again, not just because they're unpleasant people, that's obviously not the case, but because they feel they need that growth slowdown. Uh, so that's what we call a recession foretold. They're telling us this is the plan, you know, tighten, bring growth down to solve for inflation, and then we can see where we are in a year or two's time. But right now, in 2023, early stage of 23, uh, that tightening and the subsequent damage we think is, uh, uh, unfortunately for Western markets or Western economies, is going to be the story for 23. And I think the, the, the broader market has taken a more upbeat view over the last uh, month or two. I don't want to be, a, um, uh, how can I say, a, a misery here on the call, but we're a bit anxious about that, actually. We don't, we don't think that's how the Fed's thinking about things. We think they need, they want to grow slowdown to solve for the inflation problem, which is still priority number one. Yeah, and we have played this uh, out before, uh, although perhaps not as much as we have over the past six weeks or so, but through 2022, we had periods of time where we thought, hey, it looks like inflation's peaking, central banks won't need to do too much more, borrowing costs for companies won't go up too much higher, and, and we've seen these long-term rallies in yields, share markets performing quite well. So to a certain extent, um, it, it seems like it's realistic to expect that we're going to carry on trying to judge this endpoint and turning point and, and be uh, trying to um, evaluate 
what's the right level of, of risk and, and what should market sentiment be and, until we're really, really clear that we're on an easing cycle, which might be uh, some, some distant way off. Yeah, I worry that's right. So you raised two very important points there. One is how high are they going, the so-called terminal rates, which I still think is something like higher, not a very specific forecast, but higher, I think, is the clear message from uh, Western central banks. And then how long do they stay there? So they're going to move policy even more restrictive and then keep the pressure on, right? So it isn't like once you've stopped hiking, monetary policy is kind of uninteresting or unimportant. They're going to move it to a restrictive level, further restrictive, to kind of crimp the economy for the reasons I've mentioned. And they're going to, I think they're going to leave it there. We think at BlackRock, they're going to leave it there for longer than the markets and uh, our sentiment generally is expecting. So just to really um, uh, emphasize what CTP is talking to there, it is very important how high are they going? That's very important. But also how important is how long they stay there. And just because they're not moving rates doesn't mean that that's somehow dovish, right? If they move rates to a high restrictive level and leave them there, that is restrictive. Uh, and as I say, that's what we think is going to happen over the next 12 months. And uh, we just don't see a pivot, uh, a Fed pivot in 23. We see terminal rates are higher. Uh, they're going to do a few more hikes and then staying there. Uh, for the inflation to fight that inflation dragon that I've mentioned a few times. But that is, that's the story, I think. And if that creates an economic downdraft, I think it's, it's important we understand that's not just okay by the Fed. That's the plan. But the plan from the Fed is to create that slowdown. So when it comes, the Fed isn't going to suddenly get uh, you know, scared by that or surprised by that. That's the plan. That's the Fed forecast is for growth to slow and sadly for unemployment to rise. Uh, again, not because they're... Uh, you know, crazy or just trying to create social harm, it's because they feel that's a necessary price worth paying to solve for the inflation problem. Again, inflation, yes, it's come down. Right? I get it. I read the papers. Inflation's come down, but it's still much too high. And these mandates, you know, we should think about that word. Mandate doesn't mean if you want to. It means mandatory. You have to solve for something like 2% uh, over some period of time for the, for the sake of the Fed and uh, 4 or 5% Checking my maths here, I believe is still much higher than two. And that's the problem Powell's got. And I think he's going to continue to take the appropriate action uh, to try to solve for that. Yeah, I think it's a really big mind shift for investors and people in general to think about central banks not coming to the rescue and are in fact engineering the slowdown. After a decade of, of, of low inflation, you could think understandably that the Reserve Bank was really fixated on driving growth. Uh, but of course, it was inflation that, that, that was their, um, their goal. Uh, they just needed it to be higher. And um, so now that they're really fighting um, as from the other side of the equation, and it's been a while since they've done that, it's, uh, it's, it, it involves a bit of a change in the way of, of thinking for people that have been watching markets and central banks in the period, I think, from the, uh, the global financial crisis right up to the start of the pandemic. Um, but let's stay in the interest rate space for just a little bit longer, uh, not to talk about central banks, uh, but more about BlackRock's outlook, which is rethinking about bonds um, within your latest uh, outlook for 2023. That was, a, that was a key theme. Can you talk us through, through that theme, Ben? Yeah, look, I mean, so... Uh, sometimes life's complicated, sometimes it's relatively straightforward, and maybe this is both, but the relatively straightforward bit on rethinking bonds is yields are much higher. Uh, and that's, you know, again, maybe obvious, but important. So if we think about income um, over the last uh, 
you know, 10, 15 years, it's been, it's been very hard to source income and we've all had to be uh, more creative in how we solve for our income needs, uh, be that for your pension or for your uh, trying to put your kids through college or, or anything in between. So no, I'm not going to say that's uh, uh, easy. It's definitely not easy. There's still many challenges around solving for income. But being able to be not too brave, so our preference would be investment grade uh, and relatively short duration. So not a bit too highfalutin, but you just don't need to take too much risk. You can stay in the relatively higher quality uh, companies uh, and uh, give them your money for just a year or two, uh, loan them your money, not give them, sorry, loan them your money for just a year or two through bond markets. Uh, and uh, depending where you pick your spots, you're earning five, six uh, percent yield, which uh, uh, it's pretty good. It seems to us it's pretty good. So we think you've got this nice uh, situation where in, in global credit markets, you don't need to be too heroic, get too over your skis. You, you can if you want, of course. There's more return uh, for a little bit more risk, and, and some people will be uh, uh, down with that, and that's fine. But for us, this uh, the attraction of being not too brave and able to earn 5 6% in a relatively shorter-term, high-quality investment-grade company credit, we think is kind of kind of very attractive. So we are, as maybe my uh, um, talking, uh, my, my words through this uh, podcast have made clear, we're a little bit anxious about uh, Western equity markets, I guess, for the reasons I've talked about. We think the Fed's going to do what it's due, gross data, all of that. So where would we be uh, relatively deploying risk? Absolutely into this space. Income is important. That's uh, true. Uh, and yields are, interest rates, yields are much more attractive than they've been for you know, a generation, right, for a long time. And we think portfolios should evolve kind of structurally in the direction of uh, being able to harvest, pick up a bit more income. Where would we go? A few areas we would highlight, but I think the most obvious one is uh, is global investment grade, where, again, you don't need to be too brave. These are the good companies, the relatively better companies, and you can get yields of, uh, it depends exactly where you go. So I don't want to be too granular here, but something like 5 even 6% to us looks, uh, uh, looks pretty good. Yeah, it's it's interesting how things change, and I'll sound old here, um, but when I first started out in the investment space, um, and we're working on things like um, uh, diversified funds of New Zealand shares, where we thought we might be able to get eight to ten percent um, return for customers, which is a, which is a pretty good return, I think, uh, in, in hindsight. Um, but when a Kiwi customer could get uh, 7% or slightly higher from a term deposit with the bank, they weren't really that much interested in the extra percent or so I thought I could um, earn for them. And, uh, and so where rates might settle is an interesting question for investors here now. Uh, but the fact that term deposit rates have, uh, have got up to 5% here in New Zealand um, it does make people a little bit more comfortable with those lower risk uh, investments, which is understandable. But to me, the rub is, is inflation and living with inflation. And um, over the uh, over the year ahead, uh, our forecast for the inflation rate will probably erode uh, most or all of the return on a term deposit. Uh, if we tame the beast, uh, and inflation comes back down to you know, to a percent or around the Reserve Bank's target, then the percent rates we're offering for five years will have a real return. So this brings me to the third theme within BlackRock's outlook of living with inflation. 
Um, so what sort of rates of inflation are you expecting that people will have to live with over the next few years? And then in turn, for our investors, how do you think that should impact their investment choices? So, so something like three is the new two. So we think getting inflation down from nine to four, let's say, uh, clearly I'm painting in broad strokes here, but something like getting inflation down from nine to four is, again, I don't want to say it's easy, but that's relatively straightforward and, and, and can happen very fast, I think, as we're seeing. Uh, as we're seeing. But eking out that last 100 or 200 basis points, you know, really ringing out inflation to get it all the way down to two, we think is going to be super hard. And our judgment is actually from the Fed, I mean, uh, other central banks, obviously, but the Fed is the big one. Our judgment is the Fed will choose to live with slightly higher inflation because the social cost and economic cost of really bringing it down to 2% uh, could be, you know, prospectively an incremental million or two people, Americans losing their jobs. And our view is that they will, they will decide not to do that uh, as they try and balance these very, very difficult uh, trade-offs. So inflation is going to hang around, driven by those supply factors I mentioned uh, right at the top of the call. Uh, and that means, uh, as you were saying so eloquently, CTB, as, as investors, we really need to think about inflation resilience. So that's, that's, you know, that's always true. That's been true for 10,000 years, I guess. You know, how, do you, how do you sustain the, uh, the real value of your purchasing power? Because you know, school fees only go up and uh, stuff we like to buy seems to only go up. Uh, so you, that's a problem. So that is exactly right. And I think uh, in a world where inflation is going to hang around for years, right, this isn't just for six months. This is our macro framing for the next many years. Uh, a higher inflation resilience is important. So what does that mean for investments? Uh, again, these are very broad strokes, but broadly, it should mean uh, more real assets in the portfolio, meaning those are assets that can keep up with inflation one way or another and slightly fewer nominal assets. So nominal assets are things like government bonds, uh, which pay you a yield, but that yield uh, doesn't adjust as inflation uh, uh, gallops away or whatever, stays relatively high uh, over the next uh, years. So, so you know, clearly we do think, uh, as I just mentioned in the rethinking bonds uh, section, there are certain areas of fixed income which we think are attractive, even very attractive. But this inflation context, I think, is something we all need to think about you know, inflation is three or four percent, not just for one year, but for many years. That's a real threat to your savings over a three, five, ten year horizon because inflation is insidious, right? It just keeps nibbling at your savings year after year after year. And you check in after five years and you think, goodness, I can't afford as much stuff as I thought. So having for us a concern that inflation is going to be higher for, uh, for a long time, I think has got profound Again, I don't want to get too sort of grandiose here, but I think it is a big deal, right? And should mean that uh, when we think about our baseline portfolio, you know, our normal portfolio, if you like, that probably needs to evolve, or not probably for us, it needs to evolve away from, uh, let's say, portfolio norms of the last uh, 20, 30 years towards a, uh, a, a sort of starting point where inflation resilience is more front and center in how we think about uh, uh, constructing portfolios to, to, to keep our purchasing power and actually even make some real returns uh, over time. Yeah, I, I think those are really good points. And, and, I, and I think uh, what central banks decide is acceptable as an inflation range is incredibly important. And I'll, again, I'll reflect on being old 
Uh, I don't, as an economist, I'm always really jealous of the young graduates that we employ and, and their latest and greatest ideas and, and that sort of thing. And basically, they make me want to be 25 again. Uh, but given that I'm uh, twice their age, I do have the benefit of experience. And uh, in the 90s here in New Zealand, we started out with a 0-2% inflation target. We were really tough on inflation. We still had the hangovers of the views on inflation from the 70s and, and 80s. And, and what that meant was we ran a tight monetary policy with high interest rates, including term deposits. But it was tough on the economy, and they relaxed those rates to try and um, so the inflation tolerance went to a 1% to 3% target range, which ultimately meant that we got a little bit more growth, a little bit more inflation, but slightly lower interest rates. And, uh, and what we choose to do with that going forward will impact not only the inflation that a central banker might tolerate, but also what we could expect in terms of interest rate responses. So I think those will be important things to, uh, to watch over the years ahead as we adjust, if it is, to a slightly higher int- inflation environment that we've uh, had in the past. Hey, but for uh, people listening, um, why, don't we, uh, why don't we wrap up uh, with, with, with a bottom line? Uh, what all this means for the way that BlackRock thinks about managing people's uh, retirement uh, or long-term savings over 2023 and over the year ahead. So, uh, Ben, anything from the uh, the, the very uh, enjoyable read, uh, the, the, the investment playbook for the year ahead? Yeah, so for the year ahead, um, I think, uh, as I mentioned, we are still a little bit uh, concerned that uh, the plan is to slow growth in Western economies. That's the plan. So that should have a slightly chilling effect on uh, on risk. So uh, I guess our broad framing would be a little bit cautious. Uh, my joke when I'm down under is we're a koala bear, not a grizzly bear, right? So we're a li- not, 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 as I say, it's not a GFC, nothing like that. But a little bit cautious uh, because we think uh, uh, there's more work to do from the central bankers to bring growth down uh, and that that's yet to fully play out. That doesn't mean... You know, just hiding cash, as uh, CTV was saying, there are some attractive term deposits and that's more than fine. But a diversified, well-balanced portfolio, thinking about, uh, unfortunately, inflation is a problem, keeping a balance, uh, not getting too over your skis with any particular investments, uh, but maybe evolving your portfolio in 23 or that slightly more uh, inflation resilience. We think, uh, if you like, strategically, CTV, that's kind of the big story for, for 23 is, you know, is my portfolio fit for purpose in a world where inflation is going to be uh, higher for longer. So that's the question we're kind of posing. And I'm sure you and your guys can help clients with uh, specific solutions, but coming at it from a big picture, that's probably our main takeaway. Yeah, I think those are very consistent with some of the things that we've been thinking about. And particularly as we we go through this period of very uh, high inflation in New Zealand, we're knocking around 7% inflation. Uh, making sure your money in the, is in the right place is as important as ever, and um, that's where we're uh, we were happy to help. Hey Ben, it's just been fantastic to talk to you over the last half hour, as it always is. I hope our listeners have enjoyed it, and um, I'm sure we'll be uh, we'll be emailing to get you back onto a podcast over the uh, over the months ahead. So thanks a lot for your time. Great to talk with you, CTB, and uh, hope everyone keeps well in the uh, in the weather. And uh, hopefully, uh, maybe we can do one of these in person in the not-too-distant future. But great to be with you today. Uh, thanks and all the best. Yeah, thanks, you. And, and a, a face-to-face podcast would be great. That's a good goal for the year ahead. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for listening to the ASB Investment Podcast. 
If you have any thoughts on today's episode or if there's anything you'd like us to discuss on a future show, get in touch at podcasts at asb.co.nz.